Sermon number 578, Creations of Our Crises. The text, 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This sermon preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on August 15, 1971. May the Spirit of God descend upon our hearts as we read from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, beginning at the 16th verse of the 5th chapter. No longer then do we judge anyone by human standards, even if at one time we judged Christ according to human standards, we no longer do so. When anyone is joined to Christ, he is a new being, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God was making friends of all men through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins against them, and he has given us the message of how he makes them his friends. Here we are then, speaking for Christ as though Christ himself was appealing to you through us. On Christ's behalf we beg you, let God change you from enemies into friends. Christ was without sin, but God made him share our sin in order that we, in union with him, might share the righteousness of God. There are many of us who agree with that black Brooklyn evangelist, Tom Skinner, when he says that everyone, sooner or later, must face three major crises in his life. And the result of our lives, and the contributions which we make to society in general, will depend on how we face these crucial moments and how we make our decisions in these crises. Society, you see, has for a long time tried to label man's experiences under different categories. And Tom Skinner has said that really all of life is about three crises, three major crises. And the first is the one that he calls the crisis of identification. And an individual, no matter what his age, he is facing this crisis when he is asking questions like, Who am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? This is an age-old question. It has been with us since the beginning of man. It is very paramount in today's life, not only amongst young people, but for those of us who are not so young who are still trying to find our identity, who we are, 
to whom we belong, whom we serve. If you listen closely to the words of some of our pop music and not just the rhythm and sounds alone, you will find this theme repeated again and again and again. Who am I? Where am I going? What's it all about, Alfie? You see, the crisis of identification. An individual has to answer this particular crisis, and he must do so successfully if ever if he is to find his role in life. And then Skinner goes on to say that the second crisis is that which can be called the crisis of community. Now that I have found out who I am, it is necessary for me to find out who this person beside me is. Who is he? What is he doing? Where is he going? What are not only my rights, but my responsibilities, my obligations to him? Jesus says you're to love your neighbor as yourself. But you see, this gives us some basic of an idea that we must know something about ourselves before we can know anything about our neighbors. And if I do not first solve that first crisis as to who I am, and I can find some love and acceptance of myself, then my neighbor is in for real trouble. Because the second crisis, that of community. And then the third is what Skinner calls the crisis of power. After I know who I am and who my neighbor is and my responsibilities and responsibilities to him, how do I find the power to pull off what I have to do in life? What tactic, what philosophy, what strategy, what do I depend upon to be the person that God has called me to be and to be to my neighbor what God would have me to be? It's not just enough to have high goals and high ideals and high hopes, but where do I get the power to pull these things off? And once I face this crisis, then I am really beginning to be a, an individual, for I have answered not only the crisis of personhood and of brotherhood, but also the dynamics of power. Now, society for, through the generations has been creating ideas, solutions, as to how we can solve the problems and face the crises. And these go under different headings, but I have chosen but four of them this morning. The first belongs to that group of people, and they've always been with us and probably will always be with us, who are convinced that the way you face these crises and the way you overcome them and the way you become triumphant over them is through education. Education is the solution, so they say. This particular idea starts with the thesis that man is innately good, and that man is blessed with a good, good mind. And if you give man enough facts, if you feed him the information, if you keep him, in, him informed, and then give him enough time, man, through the ability of his mind, 
through education, will be able to find solutions to his particular crisis in life. So consequently, we have become a people who are very eager to build bigger and better educational systems and programs. We do things in the name of education for the hope that we will be helping people, young and old alike, to find out who they are, to find out their proper responsibilities in this life to other people, and to be responsible, successful individuals who have a sense of achievement. Be they right or be they wrong, we've always had them with us, we have them with us today, and no doubt they'll always be here. People who say you, you face these crises and you solve them with education. Now there's a second group of people that, have always, that has always been around. That group that says, no, it, it's not a matter of education, it's a matter of economics. Give a man enough money and the things that money can buy, and he will eventually find himself and his role here in life. And they say that the reason we have so many frustrated people in the world today is because they do not have enough of that green stuff that can serve as the economic foundation for survival. So we have all types of programs sponsored not only by the government but by voluntary groups which are eagerly at work to try and help man to improve his financial lot. Individuals who want to give other people money. And if they don't want to give them money, they want to give them a guaranteed income or pay them above the minimum, or give them some type of financial resource with the idea that if a man can work and make money, he's going to find his manhood, his brotherhood, and his sense of power. Those are two programs which I feel are in the world today, always have been, always will be. And a third one, which some think is new, but really, if you know history, it's not new at all. Those individuals who advocate experimentation, that's the way that you solve the crises. Experiment. Turn your back on laws, regulations, commandments, mores, customs, traditions. Ignore experience. Ignore those things that people have been telling you for a long time are right but which you feel are not right. Forget morality. Accept license. Accept freedom. Do your own thing. Do what you want to do. And in this way, you will eventually find out who you are, who your neighbor is, and what your power is in life. Use anything and anybody but just no matter what the cost or expense, experiment. And eventually, maybe many people will get hurt, you might become harmed yourself, but eventually, through experimentation, you're going to find out who you are. And then there's a fourth one, I call it involvement. 
the activists who claim that the way you find out who you are in life is by getting involved in a cause bigger than yourself. Take a stand. Doesn't matter really what side you are on or whether or not you have thought it through. Take a stand. Carry a sign. Walk a line. Commit yourself to something bigger than yourself and then get involved in it with all fours. And eventually you're going to be able to find out who you are. It's in the process of involvement that you become a real person and begin to identify yourself and your role. And consequently, we have those individuals who were with us many years ago, with us today, and probably will be with us in years to come, who are continuously advocating to the young and to the old alike, get involved and you're going to find your life. Now these are but four of the creations which we in society have helped to make in our day as solutions to our crises. Now the Apostle Paul thinks that these creations will not work. As a matter of fact, he is convinced that individually Collectively, anyway, these particular man-made or created ideas of how people can face crises simply will not do the trick. His idea is that if a man is going to be adjusted in life, if a person is going to face his crises and be victorious over them, if a man or a person is going to succeed in finding out who he is and what his responsibilities in life are, he must not be counting upon creations, but he himself must be recreated. He must be an individual who is a new creation. And please notice very carefully the words of Paul. He didn't say one that is remade, rebuilt, remodeled, refurbished. He says a new creation. He must become something other than what he was before. Where all the old things are passed away and where all things have become new. It's not enough just to try to take the old and revamp it with education or with money or experimentation or with involvement, but this old must become new, or to use the words of Jesus, this must be born again, start all over from scratch. And it is the theory of Apostle Paul that any man can do this by being in Jesus Christ. Now, that's been a very difficult term to try to understand. To some, it's nothing more than theological jargon. How do I get in Jesus Christ? And please notice the wordage here. It does not say that you become like Jesus Christ. 
that you are in Jesus Christ, which means, as I understand it, that the same mind that was in that six foot four, 193-pound Galilean, or whatever his dimensions were, that same mind is here in my mind. That same spirit of holiness that was in that Nazarene who walked the streets and the roads of Palestine, that same spirit is within me. It's just not a similar spirit. I am not trying to become a copy of Jesus Christ. I am an extension of him. I am in him and his mind in me so that I can say with Paul, it is no longer I, but Christ. Christ liveth within me, within this body, within this mind, within this spirit. This is Paul's contention as to how we can face the crises which we must face in life and come out of them stronger, mature people who know who they are. You see, when you are in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is in you, you're not playing games. This is the authentic. I am, excuse the term, it may sound irreligious, I am Christ. Not on any virtue of my own, but because the Spirit of Jesus Christ is in me. I have invited him to come in and to take over this mind and this heart and this spirit, and he is in me. Therefore, you see, it is not me, but Christ in me. And therefore, I find my identity as Christ found his identity. He saw himself as an obedient son to a loving father. There was never a day when he was not in communication with God. There was not a moment when he did not realize who he was. He knew that God created him in love. And he accepted the fact that God sent him to this earth to do a job. And that this is his particular role. To accept this position as the son of God who is working to bring forth something that God has in mind. He found his identity. He never questioned who he was or where he was going or what he was to do. He found this in God. And because Christ is in me, because I am a part of the Son of God, I too find my identity as being an obedient son of the loving Father. This means also, you see, that I can then look at my neighbor and see him for what he is worth. Another son of God, an individual neither whom Christ is living or in whom Christ is trying to move into, so he can live from within it. And I see this individual not as somebody that I must use or abuse to to heighten my own ego or my own glory. But this is a child of God whom I am called upon to do but one thing, love him. And I can say, just give me the privilege to love you. Like Jesus Christ who is in me, I am not dependent upon your response to my love to love you. Like Jesus Christ, you can spit on me. You can crown me with all types of thorns. You can move me to any cross, but I will still love you. Because, you see, I don't need your love to live.
because the Spirit of God that was in Jesus Christ is within me because Christ is within me. And I love as Jesus loves because I am Jesus, you see, because he is in me. And therefore, love does not become this mushiness. Love does not become pure license to do whatever you want to do. Love becomes something that is real and something that is independent and something I have, no matter if anybody gives it to me or not, because the Spirit of Christ is within me, and this is where my love is found. And then you see, I, I really don't begin to make a problem out of power like Jesus Christ, because he is within me. You see, I don't sit down. And nowhere do you find in the Gospel of Jesus sitting down figuring out whether or not he was a success or a failure. With perhaps the exception of the last trip into Jerusalem, Jesus never really sat down and worked out strategies so that he could be effective. Jesus did not keep books as to whether or not he was doing a good job or a poor job. All Jesus was ever interested in was allowing that the Holy Spirit would work through him. And like many of us, you see, he was not an individual who was hoping that the Holy Spirit would do something for him. Instead, he was asking only that God's Holy Spirit would work through him. And he made himself a vessel, a channel of God's Holy Spirit. And whether he was talking to little children in a playground, to the Roman officials in the Jerusalem Pentagon, or whether it was to a woman who was taken in adultery. His concern only was that the Spirit of God would work through him and that he would be a channel of that Holy Spirit. And you see, this is where my power is, not whether or not I get a big name, not whether or not I am successful, but whether or not the Spirit of God is working through me. To allow God to do his will in the world today. The Apostle Paul says, you see, unless you are recreated, become a new being, unless Jesus Christ is in you, this is the only way, the only way that you will face successfully the crises in your life. He's not against education. He's not against money. He knew that Jesus talked more about money than perhaps any other topic in, in all of the Gospels. He is not against trying new things. He believed with the passage in 1 John that we are to test the spirits to see if they are to be of God. He knew that he was to take up his cross daily and follow Jesus. That's excitement and experimentation. He was not against involvement. You don't know the Apostle Paul unless you know that he was an individual who was always getting in hot water because of his beliefs. But he never believed that just because you are willing to lose your life, you find it. He knew, as Jesus taught the truth, that unless you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, says Jesus, that's when you find it. He was not against these things, you see, but he saw these not as things to be used as means to help us through our crises, 
but these are to be instruments of his grace that are used by people who have already found themselves to be in Jesus Christ and have met those crises by inviting Jesus Christ to come into his heart. There have always been all sorts of creations made by society helping people to face their crises. Since the time of Christ, this message of our Lord has been that you must be created new. I guess this message will continue on as well those of the society. But if anyone is interested in learning more about this, what it means to be in Christ, we'd be happy to talk with you after this service. Amen. Father, help us to become the people that thou would have us to be. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.